Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to be here. Thank you, Luke, for that introduction. Um, like you said, we've been, uh, my family and I have been at uh, St. Albans for about a year and a half now. And prior to that, I was the minister at the Hurricane Church of Christ up on the hill in Hurricane. And uh, just thankful to be here with you guys today. Everyone has been so friendly, both first service and second service, and uh, just appreciate uh, making us feel welcome here today. So, last week, Philip was here with you guys, right? And Philip talked about the beginning of our series on the book of James. Does anybody in here like the book of James a whole lot? It's one of my favorite books in all of Scripture because I'm a practical guy. I like to be told what to do, why, and how. And James is very good at that. So last week, most of the time was spent talking about the man who wrote the book of James, the identity of this James. Because there's a lot of Jameses in the Bible. But this James was the half-brother of Jesus. And even though he was Jesus' half-brother, he didn't believe really Jesus was who he said he was until sometime after the resurrection. And he became key in the early church, and you see that through Scripture. And he was, by some estimation, a primary influence that helped the early church transition from a church made up of folks mostly from a Jewish background to a worldwide movement that included all kinds of backgrounds, Jew and Gentile. So in short, last week, we said this James is a pretty big deal. But how do we find him introducing himself in this letter he writes? He says he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, James 1.1. Question for you, how, many, how do you guys introduce yourselves when you're meeting somebody for the first time. You know, I might say, hey, my name is Matt. I'm Felindy's husband. I'm Tierra, Abby, and Amelia's dad. I might tell people that I'm a personal injury lawyer that practices in Huntington. Luke left that out because I knew everybody would leave if he told that in the introduction. <laughs> but we use those things to identify ourselves, to introduce ourselves to other people. Maybe talk about where you graduated from or where you live. James could have had instant credibility with this audience he was writing to if he had just said, hey, it's James, the brother of Jesus. But he chose a more humble route. He says, I am servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was humble in his identity with Christ. And last week we said that this, knowing who we really are in our relationship with Jesus, is a starting point for this faith that works that James talks about. It's not about our accomplishments or our degrees or where we live or our job or how we're connected to other people. It's about our position in relationship with Jesus Christ. We are his servants, amen? We are in some sense his slaves, and when we understand and embrace this truth, then that's when we're going to be having that starting point for the faith that works. So James wrote this very practical book to the 12 tribes who were in dispersion. They were dispersed, scattered. And he's talking to Jewish people who had become the first Christians. They had heard the, the message on the day of Pentecost, and they became Christians, put Christ on in baptism, and then were later scattered when persecution broke out in Jerusalem. And we read about this in Acts chapter 8. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered 
throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. So in simple terms, after the day of Pentecost, at some point, Christians began running for their lives under persecution of the Jewish people. And Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, we read about him being stoned to death for his bold testimony, right? For his preaching. And this is where we begin to see the first wave of persecution coming upon Christians. But then a man named Saul comes along. And Saul is a tough guy. And it's open season on converts to this new faith. So these earliest believers are running for their very lives from Jerusalem. How many people here live in Winfield? Okay, well, a fair amount of you. Let's say that somebody comes in here this morning and says, hey guys, you can't go back to Winfield. They're killing all Christians in Winfield. What would you do? Well, you would probably, with the clothes on your back and whatever you have available in your car, you'd probably take those things and go somewhere else, right? You would have to leave, and you might have to leave behind a pet, you might leave behind your home, maybe your job, maybe some family members that are still over in Winfield, and you'd have to leave. And this would be earth-shattering for you Winfield residents, right? That is exactly what the original readers of this letter were facing as James was writing to them in this very practical book. They had to leave their home and flee for their own safety because of their faith in Christ. But did they give up their faith? No. We see the exact opposite things happening with their faith. Acts chapter 8 verse 4 says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So as they were running for their lives, getting away from their homes, they spread the gospel wherever they went. And the church grew. I found that to be incredible. How about you guys? Running for their lives, leaving everything behind, but still spreading the gospel preaching Jesus. And so James is writing to these people as they're enduring this. And many of them are being tortured. And a lot of them are killed. But they're still sharing the gospel. And you might ask, I ask, how in the world, in the face of persecution, in the face of death, could you still be spreading the faith? You know why? Because they had a faith that works. The question is, do we? Do you? Do I? And so James starts in chapter 1 of, the, of James chapter 1. He says, greetings. And he says, you know what? You guys are facing some troubles. And you know what you need to do? Count it joy. Yeah, you're having trials. You're having tribulations. You're having struggles. You're having problems. You're having temptations. Count it all joy, James says. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So how many people saw the He Gets Us commercials during the Super Bowl last week? Man, what a game, right? That was a great Super Bowl. Right up to the last minute. You know, what, whether you like the Chiefs or the Eagles, I'm a Browns fan, so I'd never have my team in the Super Bowl, right? Y'all, some of y'all can relate. But it was a good game. But these, there was a big media buy for the He Gets Us commercials, talking about Jesus and how He gets us. And He does get us. We know that. We understand that. He lived on this earth. He faced the same struggles and emotions and experiences that we face. He was one of us 
while at the same time being God. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way that we are, yet he was without sin. So God knows all. And he didn't have to send Jesus here to know everything about us. But I believe he did that to demonstrate to us, hey, I've been where you are. I understand what you're facing because he knows. So yeah, Jesus gets us. The commercials were right. The question for us is, do we get him? And if we do get him, then our lives are going to look different. Amen? If we get him, our lives are going to look different. And the area of trials going on in our lives, that's one area where James says, your life as believers is going to look different. Now, trials are no surprise to us, are they? In fact, we are promised, church, that we are going to face trials. James doesn't say if you face trials, but he says what? When you face trials. So Jesus told his disciples in Matthew or in John 16, 33, he says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Peter says in his first letter, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And you don't have to have much time on this earth to realize trials and struggles and problems. They're part of life. Some trials can be overwhelming. And maybe you're going through a trial like that right now. If you're not going through a trial, count your blessings and get prepared because there's one coming your way. We know that to be the case. And you know what? In the court system, we set trial dates that a case will go to trial. But the kind of trials we're talking about here, they don't set dates with us, do they? They don't send invitations or orders in the mail with a certain date. These trials come up with no notice at all most of the time, right? You can be going along life, everything's going fine, and then you get hit out of, out of nowhere with something that's just devastating. That's what trials do. So trials are headed our way. We know that. We have to be aware of that. So ask yourselves this morning, what do you do when a trial comes your way? James says, be joyful. Now, this is not happiness. Joy and happiness are different. You see, happiness depends on what is happening to me. But joy is this deep down blessing I have in my relationship with Christ, with God, regardless of what is happening to me, right? That's the difference. Even though things might be a mess in my life, I can still maintain this joy because it's based on God, not on me. It means that I can have trouble, but still have confidence in Christ. It can mean I can still face problems, but still have peace in the storm. It means that life might be a wreck, but I still have the hope of eternal life through Christ Jesus. In other words, this joy that James writes about is a strong faith that's not shaken by what happens to me here. So how is this kind of joy possible? That's a big question. Well, first, it's possible for us because we know God is in control. Can I get an amen? Can I get a better amen? 
this kind of joy is possible in a trial because we know our God is in control. And if you're facing a trial this morning, just take your phone out and take a picture of these next two slides because here's how we know God is in control. He's sovereign. And we know that no matter what happens to us, good or bad, God is on the throne. Psalm 47, verse 8. We know God is faithful and He can always be trusted. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is good. And he will always do the right thing. Psalm 107, verse 1. God is able to make grace abound to me in all situations. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And as we read in our focus verse this morning, God works all things together for his good in my life. Romans 8, 28. So we can have this kind of joy. It's possible because we know God is in control, first of all. And second of all, we can have this joy in trials because we are his servants. We belong to him. We follow him. God loves me so much, loves you so much. He sent his son to die in our place. Romans 5, 8. God is merciful and gracious to us. Psalm 107, 7. God cares for us so much that we can cast all of our anxiety on him. That's 1 Peter 5, 7. That is a whole other sermon series altogether, right? God promises in Hebrews 13, 5, He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And this is a big one, church. God has given us, as believers, His Holy Spirit. This Spirit that dwells in us, that directs us, guides us, and walks with us. That's Acts 2, 38. So when I have trials, when I have troubles, if I keep the faith and I continue to trust God, He's not going to let any of those things I face destroy me. Now, it may take my physical life, right? But it can't touch my soul and it can't affect my relationship with God. It, he may allow it to kill my body, but my soul will live eternally with Him. Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, 29, don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him, God, who can destroy both the body and the soul. Now, some of you might be thinking, now, wait a minute. If I can't be guaranteed that I can get through this trial and live through it, then maybe none of this is worth it. That's the earthly mentality we have. But here's a big question. Do we want a guarantee just for this life? Or do we want a guarantee for the life to come? We have that guarantee for the life to come as believers in God. And that, that promise, that guarantee, that can never, ever be taken from us. Think about that. Everything we have that we work so hard for, and that we stress about and worry about and, and gather up, all that stuff, houses, cars, jobs, money, all those things can be taken from us at a moment's notice, right? But our relationship with God can never be taken from us. No trial you're going through right now can ever separate you from God. No struggle you're dealing with will ever make your relationship with Him non-existent. The only way we lose that relationship is if we give it up. So it's because of that promise we can have and maintain this joy even when trials are hard. So let's answer one big question this morning. Why does God allow trials into the lives of his children? Well, this is a sermon, so you've been looking for the three points, right? Here they are. 
He does it to perfect us, number one. Number two, to correct us. And number three, to redirect us. So let's look at these. Trials perfect us. Now, perfect here is a synonym for complete or mature. And this is, I think, what James is specifically talking about here in James chapter 1. Because verse 3 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You've heard the phrase, tough times never last, but tough people do, right? That's right. Trials tend to mature us, to grow us up, to make us stronger. And you see, God, I hate to burst our bubbles here, but God's big plan for us as believers is not a comfortable, peaceful, conflict-free life here on this earth. That's not why he did everything he did for us. You know what his big goal for us is? It's to make us be more and more like his son every single day. For us to become Christ-like. And trials, even though they're unpleasant, help us do that. And so everything God allows us to go through, his purpose is to make us more like Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Trials... Help us do that. They help us become more Christ-like. Because let's be honest, when are the times in your life when you seek God the most? It's usually in the midst of those trials. Some people call it the school of hard knocks. Anybody ever attended the school of hard knocks? I've been there a day or two, right? Has anybody graduated from that university? Has anybody flunked out? Maybe that's the better question, right? You know... I watched my mom go through a major trial caring for my grandma who had Alzheimer's and dementia. And that was an eight-year battle. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there. And maybe you're going through it right now. And we all ask the question, why? My grandma was a strong Christian woman, one of the spiritual giants in my life. Why was she going through Alzheimer's and dementia? Why did our family have to go through this struggle? And I'll be honest with you, church, some of those questions don't have good earthly answers. But you know what I do know? I know my grandma's at home in heaven. And I know my mom grew through that trial in ways that she probably doesn't even understand. But because of that experience, she has been able to help countless people with her encouragement, with her experience, with her advice, and with her testimony. You see, trials help us mature, but through that process, we can become a blessing to other people going through those same trials. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Poor Joseph. Man, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was locked up for false accusations. Had a terrible life. A lot of trials. But all of those experiences were doing what? Maturing him, perfecting him to be second in command to Pharaoh, to help lead a people out of a famine and save them and save his own family. Trials are there sometimes in our life to mature and perfect us. We said Jesus gets us. He went through the same things we go through, but we are very different from him in a lot of ways, but one very important way. You see, we have flaws, don't we? We struggle. We sin. I slip up with my tongue all the time and say things I shouldn't. Anybody else ever do that? 
Maybe we mess up with our actions. You see, Jesus didn't have these flaws. Hebrews 4, uh, 15 tells us he was without sin. So no matter what he faced here, and he faced a lot, he didn't sin. And that is the goal for us in our lives, to reach spiritual maturity. Now, we will never be sin-free this side of eternity, right? We all agree with that. But our goal should be to strive to be better today than we were yesterday. Amen? To grow and mature. And trials help do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, he was also a, a student at that same school many of us went to, the school of hard knocks. And he also didn't feel like he graduated, although he grew. But let's listen to what he said about some troubles he had on a missionary journey. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. So Paul's trial made him less reliant on self and more reliant on God. And our trials will as well to perfect us to mature us. You know, I've said for years that a sermon that doesn't lay down a challenge is just a bunch of fancy words and hot air, right? So here's a challenge for us. Do some inventory in your own life, in the trials you're facing. And ask God, how will you perfect me through this trial? How will you mature me through this trial? Help me see those opportunities. And how can I help other people grow in this trial I'm facing. Trials exist in our lives sometimes to help perfect us. And they also, number two, help correct us. Has anybody ever gone through a correcting trial? These are the kind of trials that we invite into our own lives because of our own sinful or stupid behavior, right? These are the trials that sometimes might last a little while or they could have consequences that last a lifetime. But thank God for correction. You see, when we stop feeling remorse or regret or conviction about our sin, that's when we really need to worry. An example of this kind of trial is the story of the prodigal son. We know this story, right? Young man had it made. He was living the good life, but that wasn't enough. So he, he gets greedy and he says, Dad, give me my part of the inheritance. Now, Law School 101, when does an inheritance become activated? When somebody dies, right? So this request is really saying, Dad, I'm sorry you're still alive. I wish you were dead. Give me what is mine in your estate. That's what he's asking his dad. That's a terrible thing to ask your dad for, right? But that's what this young man does. And his dad agrees, gives him his half of the estate. And the young man leaves, and he lives it up. And the money held out for a while, but trouble was lurking in this young man's life. And then we see that he eventually squandered everything, and he found himself longing to eat the food the pigs were eating. He was in this pig pen of life, in this correcting trial, when he decides and comes to his senses and decides to go home to his father. 
Of course, his father welcomes him back with open arms, right? There's a lesson there too, that he was corrected. Another example is the story of Jonah. You guys remember Jonah in the Old Testament, right? Jonah didn't want to go where God wanted him to go. God said, go to Nineveh and preach. And Jonah said, I don't want to go. You guys ever find yourself in a situation where you don't want to go where God wants you to go? It happens, right? It's human. So instead, he gets on this ship heading in the opposite direction. And what's God do? He sends a storm, right? A storm that starts rocking this ship. And Jonah knows this is God coming after him. And so he says, all right, guys, this is all my fault. Throw me overboard. And they say, no, no, no. We're going to row harder. We're going to keep this all together. We're going to make it safely through to the other side. But then the storm gets more intense and the people get worn out. And they say, okay, we're going to grant your request. We're going to throw you overboard. So Jonah gets thrown overboard. And he gets swallowed up by what? A whale, right? Or fish, Scripture tells us. I don't know. I'm no marine biologist, but it was a big sea creature, right? This thing swallowed Jonah up and vomits him out, that's a gross picture, on the beach of Nineveh. And guess what Jonah does? He comes around to God's way of thinking. And he goes and he preaches. Because he stood corrected. Are you facing a trial today that is correcting you? It's probably unpleasant. It's probably hard. It might have you making tough decisions about a, a bad work environment or a relationship you need to get out of or maybe the friend group you need to extricate yourself from. Whatever it is, if it is God's way of correcting you, it is all worth it. Amen? Because he's making you more and more like the man or woman he wants you to be. And even though it's tough, we can maintain that deep down joy because we know it's God working in our lives. So trials exist and come into our lives to perfect us, to correct us, and finally to redirect us. Sometimes a difficulty can be the way God directs and redirects in our lives. You guys ever been listening to your phone as you're traveling somewhere for directions and it says rerouting? <laughs> That's usually when I know better than the phone and I refuse to follow it and I end up somewhere I shouldn't be, right? It's saying, listen, you idiot, listen to me. So we've all, we're all experienced with being redirected. You ever been delayed by something? You ever been at the house and you know you got to leave for something at a certain time and other people delay you, right? I'm not going to use Felindy as an example. I did that first service. She's here now. Um, but, but Austin, who lives with us, he, he doesn't care if he's on time for anything. I wish I had that freedom sometimes. But... You know, I find myself in the car sometimes calling cell phones saying, come on, we got to go, right? Anybody else do that or is that just at my house? Okay, yeah, a few of us. And you're brave for raising your hand. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, there's been a few of those times that we leave and we're late, but maybe we come up on a bad car accident and we think if we'd left on time, that could have been us, right? That could have been us. Reminds me of the story of Balaam in Numbers chapter 22. He was going to pronounce a curse on God's people. But God sent his angel to block Balaam's path and to cause him trouble. And so the donkey could see the angel, but Balaam couldn't. You remember the story? So the donkey pressed himself against a rock and smashed Balaam's foot. And then he laid down. It's like us having a flat tire or 
engine trouble if we're trying to get somewhere. And just like that, Balaam discovered God was there. You see, maybe we discover sometimes that our delay spared our lives or helped us avoid trouble or something bad that was going to happen to us. We see those situations sometimes as trials while we're going through it, blowing the car horn and calling the cell phones, but maybe they were actually divine intervention keeping us safe for our own well-being. These are trials that redirect us. Acts chapter 27, the apostle Paul is on a ship heading for Rome. And in the Mediterranean, the, the, the ship gets overtaken by a storm that causes the ship to be wrecked. And these people are in bad shape. But Scripture tells us even though the boat was destroyed, they all made it out alive, right? They all ran aground at an island near Malta. And God eventually put a man named Publius in front of Paul. And Paul ends up healing Publius' father and a whole bunch of other people who were sick on that island. So the trial of a shipwreck actually resulted in a great ministry opportunity for Paul that ended up having people be able to be healed at a place that Paul would have never gone except for that shipwreck. That's not a trial that corrected him or a trial that matured him, but that's a trial of redirection. And maybe this happens to us in our Christian walk. Maybe you've been trying to live a life for Christ and bad things happen, but when you look back on them, you understand that they were actually divine detours to serve God's purpose. Maybe it's an illness that you've experienced that caused you to finally get right with God. Maybe, it's a, maybe your illness has brought a family member to Christ. Maybe it's a relationship breakup that needed to happen so that you could come back to God. Maybe it's a flat tire that causes you to meet somebody you would have never met otherwise, and you help them know God. Things in our lives God uses to redirect us for his purpose. Many times they're tough. They might disrupt us. They might reschedule things for us. They might make us late. But God knows what he's doing. We've got to trust him. So a challenge for you this morning, are you in the middle of a trial where God is redirecting you? If so, seek his wisdom. Spend time in prayer and meditation with him. Listen for God and ask him, what direction do you want me to go? If you're facing trials this morning, they're most likely in your life to perfect you, to correct you, or to redirect you. But sometimes we face trials so big that we just want to give up. Y'all ever been there? We say things like, I've had it. I can't deal with this another minute. I'm worn out. I'm sick of it. I just want to throw in the towel and quit. Well, I want to tell you a story about a farmer and a donkey. One day, a farmer's donkey falls down into an abandoned well, way deep down. And he cries out because he knows he can't get out of this well. And the farmer walks over and he looks down in the well and he says, man, this is a real problem. I can't get this donkey out. This well no longer works. This is a hazard. The donkey's old. The only humane thing I can do is put him out of his misery. And the only safe thing I can do is cover up this well so this doesn't happen again. 
So the farmer calls his neighbors and his friends and he has them come over and they bring their shovels and they all start throwing dirt into the well. And when the donkey realizes he's being buried alive, he cries out even louder and more intense. And everybody, it makes them sick, but they keep shoveling dirt down. And finally the cries stop. And the farmer walks over and looks down into the well. And he's astonished at what he sees. You see, with every shovel full of dirt that was going down that well and hitting that donkey's back, the donkey shook it off and took a step up. So they kept shoveling dirt into this well, and the donkey kept shaking it off his back and taking a step up until finally, to everyone's amazement, the donkey stepped up over the end of that well and took off. And I hope he never returned to that same farmer who tried to bury him, right? And you might say, why do you tell a story like this? Well, I'll tell you why. Sometimes these trials in life are going to put dirt on us. Sometimes the trials we face in this life are so big that they're going to try to bury us because that is what Satan wants for you as a believer to be buried in the dirt of a trial. And our job as Christians is to stick with God, trust God, shake the dirt off, and with God's help, take a step up and let him help us in that trial. Amen? Amen. Trials in this life are going to throw dirt our way. But listen to what James says in James chapter 1, verse 12. He says, blessed, that word means happy. So happy is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That church is why we can be joyful even when everything around us might be falling apart. Because we know as men and women of God, as believers in Christ, this life and all of its trials are not the end of our story. Amen? Our story is in heaven eternally with God. And with that promise, we can maintain that joy. So if you're facing a trial, be thankful that God still loves you and is still working on you. Learn what you can in that trial. Experience God's goodness and presence in that trial, even in the hard times, and shake that dirt off. And ask God for help to take that step up. You know, we've never been asked to do any of this on our own. But it's only with God and through God that we can do any of it. Let Him help you. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ for your salvation, why wait? There's no better decision you could ever make in your life than to become a Christ follower. Repent and be baptized into him. Become a Christian. Get plugged in at this church. Join a group. Get with people, men and women who love you and want to help you and support you and encourage you and study together. Fellowship together. And share the gospel with the lost. You know, if James's original audience can share the gospel while they're running for their lives, surely to goodness we can do it here in times of peace. Amen. This community needs to know Jesus cares. He gets us. He loves us. And he saves us. Let this community know that he's got the power to change hearts and minds and marriages and relationships. And know that even in the middle of a trial, we can be joyful and have that faith that works because of his promises. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you.
so much for this time together this morning. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your promises. And Lord, I pray that you'll just be with our hearts today. Be with our hearts this week as we surely will face trials in some form. Lord, help us to seek you in those trials. Help us to draw close to you and ask you for guidance as to how this trial can perfect us, correct us, or redirect us. And Lord, help us to make those tough decisions that sometimes need to be made for your glory. Lord, I pray for each heart and for each family here today and for those struggling with whatever it may be. Father, that they know you are the answers to the questions of this life and that you are the only one who can save. And Father, I pray that if someone here today needs to make a decision to follow you, that they'll do so before it's too late. We're so thankful that you've forgiven us. We're so thankful to be called your children. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. I'm going to stand and sing one more song this morning. And if anybody has a need, we are here to help you any way we can. Please stand and sing with us.